You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Red Deer, Alberta. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, visit us online at redemptionreddeer.ca. Good morning. If you have a Bible, if you'd like to turn to Luke, if you don't have a Bible, if you just want to put your hand up, we'd love to get a, a Bible in your hands to go there with us. And if anyone needs one here this morning, just don't be shy. Put your hand up. I don't see any takers. Okay. Um, but yeah, if you want to turn to Luke with us, we'll be continuing on our sermon series, The Gospel According to Luke. Just an amazing title, actually, I have to say. Um, the theme of the first two chapters, if you could guess, is joy. It's like over and over again, joy, but of course, why not? Because you have these birth announcements and then these babies being born. It's joy. It's pure joy. I pray that as we would go through these chapters, that we would feel joy, that we would live joyful. During this season, I, I, my, also my prayer is that we would hear this text of Scripture with fresh faith. Many of us, we've, if you've grown up in the church, okay, you know the story of Luke. You've heard it so many times, but it's the living Word of God. May we hear it again afresh here this morning uh, during this season. Because, friends, whatever we fix our minds on, our hearts are drawn to. And so what will it be for you during this season? I kind of even mentioned it uh, there at the start of the service. That's why we want to do maybe Advent readings or something like that. Uh, yesterday, uh, with my family, we went to the, the lights at the city hall and went and just checked it out. It's very beautiful. I'd suggest you do it. It's such mild weather. But as we went and checked the lights out, on the, there's this giant Christmas tree, and it had secular Christmas music just blasting through it, which I don't have anything against most of the songs. It's like, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas, uh, so on and so forth. I'm not going to sing them for you. And it's like, oh, it's okay, it's great. But as we walked into City Hall where the other lights were, there was these two guys and they were belting out Christ-exalting Christmas songs. You know, go tell it on the mountain, go tell it everywhere. Jesus Christ was born. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. And there's something so distinctly different between those two songs and the spirit, if you will, that comes from it. But friends, we have our world is like it's the Christmas spirit with Jesus gone. It's about presents, it's about food, it's about all this get-together, which are great things, but no, it's about the birth of Jesus Christ. Over, above everything else, then everything, then his glory kind of filters down. Then we enjoy family and friends. Then we, we enjoy giving each other gifts, doing various things. It's all, it is good. But let the main thing be the main thing, the first coming of Christ, let's remember, in the darkest time of the year that the light of God came to earth as my prayer for myself and for you. The title of this message here this morning is The World's Greatest Birth Announcement. The World's Greatest Birth Announcement. Uh, birth announcements have been, I think, growing in popularity. There was a time it was just like maybe you told a few family and friends, like, hey, we're, we're having a baby. There's a you know, celebration, excitement. Then it's kind of grown to like, maybe some sort of social media post and getting bigger and better, how we're revealing those things. And then maybe tied in with that also is like the gender reveal. 
which praise the Lord, I think, actually for a gender reveal that we're like, hey, I'm going to have a boy, I'm going to have a girl, and we're like yelling that to the world. I think that's great, actually, uh, in the day and age in which we live. But it's, so it's getting bigger and better, right? It, you can cut a piece of cake, it's blue, it's pink, pop balloons, blow up stuff, I don't know. You can YouTube, probably gender reveal fails, and it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> but, um, so it's a big deal. When you're having a baby, you want to tell others. You find out it's a boy or a girl, you want to tell the world. And you should get excited about it. I don't want to take away from anyone's experience uh, going through that. It, it is a joyful time. But truthfully, I think we're about to read is the world's greatest birth announcement. And nothing pales in comparison to it. So that, my title is a statement. Uh, as we go through it, just let me know, do you think it's true? Or as I finish that this is the world's greatest birth announcement. If you want to stand with me, we'll be reading uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favor one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. May God bless his word to our souls this morning. You can have a seat. And as we continue, I'd just like to, again, go to the Lord in prayer, if you want to bow with me again. Oh God, what a joy it has been to sit in uh, this text of Scripture this week, uh, to hear the song sang this morning. Oh Lord, I pray by your Spirit, take this word, apply it to our hearts. Give us fresh eyes, fresh faith uh, to hear it again, oh Lord. You're so faithful, you're so good every Sunday, Lord, to feed our souls. And I pray you would again, I pray you'd give me boldness, I pray you'd give me clarity of speech. Uh, as I speak, O oh Lord, and give us open ears and open hearts. And so may your word do that which, we, which you desire this morning. And so bless it now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want you to see there's this contrast that's happening. As we looked at last week, I think Josh did a great job uh, looking at the birth announcement to Zachariah and Elizabeth. And there's this big difference because the birth announcement that goes to uh, Zachariah, well, he's a priest. He's in Jerusalem. Like it makes sense that the, an announcement would come to him. 
But as we see this next part of the story, it's actually shocking uh, where the story turns, though we're so familiar with it. But I want you to see in this first section, it's an unlikely character to the world's great, greatest birth, annou- birth announcement goes. Let's slow down for a second. An unlikely character. I want you to see this in verses 26 to 27. Luke writes, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Again, all throughout, as we're going through Luke, I'm going to keep pointing out the doctor's details. He gives you like a time frame and a physical place to work from. Right? Six months. Six months from when? Well, six months from Elizabeth conceiving. Uh, John soon to be John the Baptist in the future. So interesting, even at this point in the story, time is measured by the birth of John the Baptist. But after this section of Scripture, that's going to change uh, quite, in quite a big way. And so we have the doctor's details of time and place, but it doesn't tell us where, was it outside, inside, time of day, that Gabriel appears uh, to this, this lady, as we're going to see. Interesting, Gabriel, we see him in the Old Testament. He appears to Daniel, uh, Daniel the prophet, Daniel, a man who prayed three times a day, who is so holy and righteous. And then he appears to, to Daniel to kind of teach him about different things that he was confused about, give him understanding of things. So you're like, okay, that makes sense. Gabriel appears to Daniel, Daniel the prophet. Then it also makes sense that Gabriel appears, again, like I said, to Zechariah, Zechariah the priest. In Jerusalem, the place where God's temple was, where God dwelt. But it's actually really surprising where Gabriel appears to next. What does it it say here? It was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Nazareth. I don't know if you've ever heard the, the term a podunk town, a podunk place. If you look it up, it's just like some inconsequential place like no one really knows about. Like, that was Nazareth. That's actually Nazareth. We, uh, it's called a city here because it's a little deceiving because the Greek word, there was like a word for like a rural area, like farming, and then city. There wasn't like town or village. But the reality is Nazareth, Nazareth was probably like 200, 500 people. It was an agricultural town. It was uh, just primarily of like wine, olive oil, poor. Interesting, in all the ancient writings in the Old Testament, in uh, ancient writer Josephus and others, like it's never mentioned at all. Nazareth. It receives no glory whatsoever. Even in, in John 1.46, as, uh, as Philip talks to Nathaniel, he's like, hey, come see the Messiah, the prophet, Jesus Christ from Nazareth. He's like, come and see. John uh, 1.46, and Nathaniel replies, like, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Like it was just a small little town in the backwoods out nowhere. Like you got to understand that. It was so insignificant. But so Gabriel all of a sudden appears in Nazareth? Shocking. It's shocking. shocking. That's why he even puts Galilee to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. But maybe, maybe also there's scripture being fulfilled here. In Isaiah chapter 9, I'm just going to read for you. Isaiah 9, a 1 to 2. Isaiah writes this, the second part of verse 1. In the latter time, God he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is written 700 years before 
Jesus came. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So I love God had planned a long time ago, before the angel Gabriel came, that he would appear in Galilee, in Nazareth. And not only just little Nazareth, look and continue on in verse 27, an unlikely place, but an unlikely character. Verse 27, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. If you notice what's repeated there two times, that she was a virgin. Well, how like that? Had never been with a man before. It says she was betrothed. It's a fun word to say. Much more serious than our like, current day engagement, right? This guy loves a girl. He's like, hey, will you marry me? Puts a ring on the finger. And sometimes it's like it doesn't work out. Uh, they, broke, they broke the engagement off. Well, betrothing was so, um, so serious that if, if like the husband, or not the husband, if the man died before they were married, she was considered a widow. Even though they hadn't actually come together in marriage, hadn't consummated the marriage uh, sexually. And so that's why even we read in Matthew's gospel, when, when Joseph found out that Mary was with child, like spoiler alert, we, I think we know this story, uh, that he was like, I'm going to quietly divorce her. Because he had to divorce her in order to break off this betrothal, if that's the right way to phrase that word. So we find out this is this virgin. She's betrothed uh, to Joseph. Joseph is of the house of David. That's very significant. And her name is Mary. And so I just hope you can see that the the birth announcement's coming to Mary, young lady, probably 12 to 13 is the age at which they would have uh, went through that agreement. A young lady from Nazareth, someplace in the middle of nowhere, engaged to be married, a virgin, an unlikely character in this grand story of the Bible, but that, that's how our God works, Right? It's like we, we think in terms of <clears throat> the bright lights and the popularity and the places where God will go, but God goes to those unknown, to those making no noise whatsoever and does amazing and great things. And that's what we see here, an unlikely character to the greatest birth announcement the world's ever known. Verses 28 to 30, as the angel speaks with her, I want you to see she is a recipient of grace. Mary is a recipient of grace. Verse 28, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And I want to pause there for a second in this greeting because it's actually tripped up many people for many centuries, if you will. Greetings, O favored one, as in this, this favor given to Mary, not earned. Uh, and the reason why so many have tripped up just on this greeting is because the Latin. Uh, translation of the Bible called the Vulgate, which was used for like a thousand years in the church, it translated it, Hail Mary, full of grace. And so, so many people, and it was mistranslated, then they took it to mean that like, oh, Mary is full of grace and she gives grace. Totally false. And then start to pray to Mary for grace, but all that's being said is like, oh, like you're receiving favor from God. Mary's not the giver of grace, she's the one receiving grace from the Lord. And so that's important to note. 
As Leon Morris puts, I, I, I like it this way, Gabriel is simply saying God's favor rests on her. That's what he's saying as he greets her. Oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Look at her reaction, verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And that word for greatly troubled, greatly per- perplexed, when Zechariah saw the angel, like, he was fearful. This is actually a stronger word than that used for Zechariah. But she's not scared of the angel, maybe is, but doesn't say there. But she's actually like really troubled, like what was just told me? What is being said by the angel to me of all people? It's the greeting that perplexes her. In verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God simply chose Mary to receive this gracious gift. She hadn't done anything to deserve it. She was a sinner like me and you. It's, it's interesting even, like it says of Zechariah and Elizabeth in verse 6 of chapter 1, they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. It says nothing about Mary, and I think on purpose, so that we would not exalt her above anyone else. She just receives the favor of the Lord. But unfortunately, people still do try to exalt Mary, which is totally wrong. The only one we want to exalt is Jesus Christ. So she was just a recipient of grace, not a giver of grace, the one who received it. Continuing on, verses 31 to 33, as Gabriel speaks with her, I want you to see a pregnant announcement. And uh, (laughs) I think it's funny, um, because it actually is an announcement about being pregnant, but you'll see there the words and phrases that are used, like there's so much there. There's basically like prophecies of the entire Old Testament are being told Mary. That's why it's a pregnant announcement. There's so much being said to her. Just take a look with me. In verse 31, Gabriel says, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. So not even just thinking like that she will conceive. We'll talk about that later. But you will bear a son. She's told right away. She's going to have a child. It's going to be a boy, right? In day and age in which the, the only time you really found out was when you had the child. It's a boy. It's a girl. Like, that was it. She gets told right away, hey, it's going to be a son. And, and for those of us who have had children, there's a, a, a joyful time. It also can be frustrating trying to figure out her name. She didn't even get that. She didn't even get that opportunity. You're going to have a son. His name will be Jesus. Jesus means, like, the Lord saves the Lord is salvation. Like there's, there's, there's so many things that just point to who Jesus is, what he was about, what he was going to do. His name is a big part of that. The Lord saves. You will call him Jesus. What, what, is, what is said about this child? Verse 32, he will be great. I want you to see there's five things that are said about the child to come. He will be great. Psalm 86 verse 10 says of God, you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Only God is great. I love over here. Great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. It says of John the Baptist to come that he was great before the Lord. 1 verse 15. But Jesus was great in and of himself. Just because of who he was, he was great. And his greatness would be seen in who he was 
uh, it would be seen in his life and his ministry, right? As we read through that he walked on water, that he rose people again from the, the dead, that he healed leprosy, that he multiplied uh, loaves and fishes, and the list could go on and on, but right now he is, he's not even conceived in a sense. He is great because of who he is. The next thing that is said about him, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. I believe this speaks to Jesus' divinity. Son of the Most High, that term Most High is first seen in Genesis 14, 18. James Edwards, Edwards notes this. In the Old Testament, later Judaism, El Elyon, Most High, became an exclusive name for the one true God, emphasizing his mag- majesty and supremacy over all. So what does it mean that Jesus is becoming the Son of the Most High? It's relating to him the same uh, divinity as God. I appreciate what MacArthur says here. It's a title that refers to his position as a supreme sovereign ruler. To identify Jesus as the Son of the Most High is to affirm that he is of the same essence as God. It's used in the Old Testament to speak of the Most High God. It's used in the New Testament. I just want to show you a few places. In Psalm 46, verse 4, It says of God, the nations rage, oh sorry, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Every time it talks about the Most High, it's always referring to God. It also is in Acts, in Acts 7 verse 48. Speaks of the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands as the prophet says. Later on in also Acts, other places, you think, like, how can he be called Son of the Most High? Well, in Hebrews 1.3, it says of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It speaks to his divinity. Jesus is God. There's many other places we can look, but that he's Son of the Most High, that's what he's saying. He's divine. What else does it say? Gabriel here, a third thing. He will reign over the house, oh sorry, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. I think this speaks to his humanity. Right? It was already mentioned that uh, Joseph was of the house of David. David, the, the great king of Israel. David, who there's so many promises within scripture. I'll just show you one in 2 Samuel uh, seven sixteen. There's this promise made to David and his descendants. And it says this, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. There's all these promises. I'll just give you one more. Jeremiah 23, 5. Speaking of David's descendants, that one will come who will be on the throne forever. Jeremiah 23, 5 says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. He's a descendant of David. His, his kingdom will have no end. It also talks about him reigning over the house of Jacob forever. I think that's saying something very similar. That he has the throne of his father, David. And as I just mentioned in the last thing that is said there, 
and of his kingdom there will be no end. Again, this, there's this child that has not yet been born. <laughs> Speaking to a virgin who's never been with a man. You have a son, you will call him Jesus. His kingdom will have no end. I just want you to see a few verses of this. Uh, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. And friends, we could spend so much more time on flying through. Like, all the promises in the Old Testament here referred to that are culminating just in this announcement to this girl in this place that no one knows about. It's amazing. So Daniel 2, 44. Daniel speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. In the days of those kings at the later times, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and, and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Or Daniel 7:14. He sees this vision. Verse 13, the Son of Man who came before the Ancient of Days, in verse 14. Daniel 7, 14, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Right? Jesus' kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So all these things that are being said to Mary, like, I wonder, is she, is she getting it? Is she understanding? Is she just so amazed? Is her mouth just dropping to the floor? Not because an angel's speaking to her, but because of what he's saying. Is he not speaking uh, the prophecy found there in Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 9, just turning back there for a moment. Well-known scripture, we sing so many Christmas songs to it. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How amazing it is to hear that his kingdom, there will be no end. His is an everlasting kingdom. And of course, we know to enter into this kingdom is by belief in Jesus Christ. And, we're, and we're, we're, you enter into, you leave the kingdom of darkness. You believe in Jesus. You trust in him. You enter into the kingdom of light. And, and while we're here on this earth, it's kind of like it's an already thing. You enter into the kingdom, but it's also not yet. It's not yet full. It's not yet. We don't see the fullness of Jesus' reign and rule. We're waiting for his return. But his is an everlasting kingdom. Ours is not. Right? Even I believe, and hopefully I'm wrong, I think we're seeing like the decay of Western civilization. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. But that's the amazing thing. We're talking about something that's eternal, that lasts forever, Jesus Christ. His kingdom will continue forever and ever. Just think about like what's being said to Mary. I'm like, how can we put this in perspective? All the different things that are being said to her. And this is a terrible example, but uh, what do you, what do you, how do you say it? Like, imagine you had everything you wanted. Christmas isn't about that. Sometimes we push it that way. And you have this, like, Christmas list in the back of your mind, and you're like, hey, you're going to get this. Oh, that's great. And, and this, a, a new car, a new, new house, and 
whatever it is, and the list keeps getting bigger and bigger. You're like, wow, like this is fantastic. And you're going to get this, and it just keeps growing and growing. That's what's being told to Mary, but so much better. That's what's being told to Mary about your son, Jesus. He's going to be this descendant of David. He's going to rule over Jacob. He's going to have a throne that's going to last forever. It's basically like summarizing all these promises that are in the Old Testament, culminating on this one person, Jesus Christ. That's what's being told to her. It's so much greater than anything we could ever get for Christmas because it breaks down, right? And, and then we're like, we for, I forget sometimes, what did I even get last year? I don't remember. <laughs> but we'll remember the eternal one, Jesus Christ. This is what's being told Mary. Amazing. That's why it's a pregnant announcement. Like there's so much more there we could unpack. So in that, all that being told to her, though, you look at verses 34 to 37 with me, there's a miraculous promise given to her, and it needs to be. And I love, I love, think about all that's just been told to her. And then verse 34, and, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And, and she's not like doubting, but like a legit question. You're, you're telling me about this son I'm going to have, and all the things he's going to accomplish, she's like, I've never been with a man. So, so like, how, how is that going to work? I think it's much different. So Zechariah, when he got told these promises about John the Baptist, he doubted. He's like, I don't think that's going to happen. Then he couldn't speak until the birth of John the Baptist. Mary's not necessarily doubting. She's just like, she can't do the math. She's like, okay, you're telling me all these things. I've never been with a man. So... Where's this baby going to come from? And a, an actual, a good question. Maybe she, was, she wasn't so sure. She, maybe she knew but didn't know it applied to her. Isaiah 7, 14. And she was going to fulfill the prophecy there. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew's gospel picks up on that. But like what a question. And then look at the answer. Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. There's like theology 101, that Mary, a virgin, like highlighted over and over and over again, was going to have a child. How is she going to have a child? She had not yet known Joseph. The Holy Spirit, who helped to create everything at the beginning would again be at work. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow, James Ed Edwards notes this, I appreciate that. It recalls the divine cloud that overshadowed the tabernacle in Exodus 40, verse 35. As they set up their tabernacle to worship God in the desert with Moses, as they were finished everything, God's glory overshadowed it. It covered it. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it's the same word. It's only used a few places in the Old Testament. Think about this. Luke uses this otherwise inco inconsequential word, which occurs only three other places in the Old Testament, to describe the divine overshadowing of Mary. The divine cloud that established his presence in a place now does so in a person. Think of the significance of the virgin birth. 
It shows that salvation ultimately comes from the Lord. It's made possible by uniting the full deity. Jesus is 100% God, full humanity, 100% human in one person. Somehow, as the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary, that Jesus, who is created and, and then born, doesn't have, of course we say, he doesn't have Joseph's sinful nature, but he doesn't inherit Mary's sinful nature. All of us, we all have a sinful nature. Like our natural bent to me, myself, and I, but Jesus didn't have that. He was pure. He was holy. Jesus had to be a man if he was to represent fallen humanity. Right? We couldn't have someone else represent us. He had to be human. Jesus had to be a man if he was to reverse the curse that Adam had brought into the world through sin. Jesus had to be God in order to pay for our sins on the cross, one sacrifice for all time. It's amazing. So you think everything that's being told Mary, do you think she was tracking right now? Like as she's listening, she's taking it in, she's not doubting. She's like, how can that be because I'm a Mary? Oh, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. He'll overshadow you. I think she was like, she's hearing it, but she's like, what? What, like, I don't know, what was the look on her face? It was so quizzical. It's like, what are you talking about? That's never happened before. But it seems like we see she wasn't doubting, but she's just amazed. She's like, where, how is this possible? It's miraculous. And I think even because how she was reacting to what's being said, he says it there in verse 36. Gabriel continues, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age was, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. She was called barren. We see in, uh, in verse 7 of chapter 1, speaking of Zechariah and Elizabeth, they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. Both were advanced in their years, like they're way past the age in which they would have children. Mary's like, what? How can this be? Gabriel's like, actually, your relative, Elizabeth, already in her sixth month. She didn't know that. It's like, what? That's amazing. And even as we continue next week, we'll see right after this conversation, verse 39, it seems like she left to go see Elizabeth. Amazing. But then Gabriel also says this just after. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. This is in the context of Mary conceiving Jesus, a virgin birth. It it takes faith. The, The Bible takes faith every time you open it up, from the beginning to the end. Like, that's what you're like, wow, like, that's amazing. Nothing will be impossible with God. It reminds us what is said to Abraham and Sarah. A miraculous child, but a little different because Abraham and Sarah, again, were like past the age of childbearing and they're told by this stranger in Genesis 18, you have a son. I'm going to come back this time next year and you'll have a son. And Sarah laughs. That's why they call him Isaac. It means he laughs. And then God seemingly says this, Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. So we have to see that, like, this is amazing. But nothing will be impossible with God. 
And that, that's how Jesus comes in to the world. David Garland says this, the beginning and end of Jesus' story, his conception and his death reveal God's miraculous power to do the impossible. The question is, we have to keep asking, do we believe? Do we believe? Like, that's amazing. I'm studying this week, and yes, I, I know the story, and we've heard it before, but like, it's not normal for a virgin to have a baby. And we're like, man, we need to like, we need to hear it again. We need to see it again. It's amazing. It's a miracle. If we believe. There, there are many people who will open up the Bible and say, yeah, that's not possible. There's, there's confusion there. The word for virgin, it meant something different. Like, no, no, Luke highlights over and over again. She did not know Luke. Or sorry, sorry, did not know Joseph. Matthew highlights that. Actually, even that she had the birth of Jesus. And then they came together as husband and wife. So like, no one, no one can doubt that. But if we would believe that miracle that God can do the impossible to bring a baby to a virgin, the Son of God, then we have to use that same faith as we go through the gospel. I love that. As we see this miracle in Scripture, we need to take that same amazement to his ministry that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, people far from God. If God would so bless this, this woman, Mary, who is she in the middle of nowhere in Nazareth, some far-off places that nobody knows about? That's how God works. He comes to seek and save the lost. If there's people, you're like, man, they're way too far for God to be at work in their lives. No, that's not true. God does the impossible. We all have stories and testimonies, maybe ourselves or others, who are like, man, that person is so far gone that God grabs hold of their heart and trans- transforms them. Because our God does the impossible. And I think as we look at the virgin birth, may it give us fresh faith for whatever God would have in front of us or in the future. Amazing. No one's too far gone. Our God does the miraculous. Friends, it, it doesn't say here when Mary uh, received the child. I don't know if, like, if it's in these moments that the child was was put in her, or was it just after Gabriel left? Because in verse 42, I'll just point this out. As Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, Elizabeth says to her, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. So already she's carrying the child. We don't know when that happens. I'll just, just say this as well. A word to those who can have children. And you know, it's, it's got to be hard as you read of these stories in the Bible of these miracles of prayers being answered of people who couldn't have children and did. And, and Mary's isn't that story. But just to know that uh, we, we must trust God's sovereign hand. That for whatever reason, some, some people, he's like, you're not going to have children. You're going to have children in different ways. And God's sovereign over that. And we must follow as he leads. But I, I just imagine that it must be hard if you're not able to have kids, and then you, you, every year you hear about the miraculous birth. Just a word to that. And in, in finishing, look at Mary's a humble act of faith in verse 38. Everything that, she, that has been said to her, it's actually really shocking. I don't think we can put ourselves in her shoes as we could, but it's like jaw-dropping, like what? Her mind's blown, if we will, if we use that example. Verse 38, and Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. 
And friends, our, our translations are not strong enough there. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. She actually is using the word doulos. She's like, I'm a slave to the Lord. I'm underneath his authority. She's like submitting herself fully to God and what he would do. One commentator notes this, when Mary responds to Gabriel, let it, be, let it be to me as you have said, she surrenders herself absolutely to God's will. In the ancient world, slavery, for which doulos was the generic word, signified total belonging and submission. So slave accurately represents Mary's will. For despite her perplexity, she chooses to comply with grace. Let God's will be done. She's like, I, she doesn't understand fully how it's going to work. Even though she was told, yeah, the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you. She, like, there's nothing to compare that to. And she says, let it be done to me according to your word. It's such an amazing example. She believes God's word. She submits to his will. Like, what an example to all of us. When you see a truth in God's word, you know clearly what he's calling you to do. We need to submit to his will. Yes, yes, God. Like, that's all that is called for us. I, I love that example here. If you see in the scripture you're reading, and you're, you're like, well, I need to forgive. As Jesus forgave. Whoever comes to your mind, you've got to forgive that person. You've got to let it go. Maybe as you're, you're reading, maybe for the first time, you're like, oh, I think Jesus is the Son of God. You have to believe. Trust in Him. Believe in the Lord. Maybe as you're reading Scripture and you're like, there's something you're convicted about, you're like, oh, there's this thing in my life. I know it's not pleasing to God. I need to, I need to get rid of it. Let it go. Submit yourself to God's will. Let it be according to His will. Or maybe something God's calling you to do something. As you're reading Scripture, it's becoming very clear. You're like, I know I'm supposed to do this thing. Be like, I think, I love Mary's example. I'm the servant of the Lord or slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Friends, just in, in closing, what should this passage leave us with? And I think probably the first thing is joy. As we think on, as we contemplate the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, our Savior, it should actually have actual joy welling up within. It should give us wonder in the way it came about that God met this unknown girl, Mary, in Nazareth. If you can grasp that Nazareth is so unimportant, God decided to, it to happen there. It is, it's amazing. But the wonder that a virgin could have a child. God could be 100% God, Jesus, 100% man coming together. It should give us wonder. We can try to explain it away. It's amazing. And it should lead to praise. Friends, just, just the world's, I believe, greatest birth announcement, Jesus Christ, to come. It should then lead to praise. As in joy welling up in your hearts, like I gotta say something with my lips. It, it has to affect us, and I pray that it would. If you bow with me as I close this word in prayer. Oh, Lord, what a joy it has been for me to read and think and meditate upon uh, this scripture. I pray uh, by your spirit that joy would grow in our hearts. Lord, that you'd help us to fix our eyes upon the birth of Christ in a fresh way. Oh, Lord, 
I pray that during this Christmas season, we'd actually draw closer to you, be full of worship and praise, Lord. So seal this word in our hearts, and I pray that which is from you, may we take with us that which is from me, may it fall to the ground. Oh, Lord, continue to lead us on in Jesus' name. Amen.